freedom. Today, obviously, as we said earlier, 4th of July. Several years ago, I read a book uh, um, kind of along the lines of, of the founding of our uh, country. And it was written by a guy by the name of Eric Metaxas. And the title of the book is, If You Can Keep It. And uh, the title comes from a story regarding uh, Benjamin Franklin. And uh, the story, and it's well documented, he was leaving Independence Hall there in Philadelphia where both the Declaration of Independence was debated and signed and where the Constitution was debated and signed. And Benjamin Franklin was leaving after the uh, Constitution had been ratified. And he was asked by a lady, a citizen there of Philadelphia, whom he knew and was acquainted with. And as he was leaving, she asked him, Well, doctor, what have we got? A republic or a monarchy? Because there were many, there were, there were some at that time who thought, Well, we'll just, we'll have a monarchy. We'll just have a king. We'll just do it, we'll just like we've always been with England. And so she said, so what will it be, Dr. Franklin, a republic or a monarchy? And Benjamin Franklin replied to her, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Freedom is harder to hold on to than we might, might imagine. And so today we're going to think about freedom uh, not just in the sense of our national freedom, but we're going to be thinking about this in, in terms of our relationship to God and how sometimes how hard it, is, it is, is to hang on to the freedom that we have in Christ. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians has as its theme this idea of liberty and freedom in Christ. And essentially, the book is, a, is, a, is Paul's polemic against two different approaches to a relationship with God. And he is, he is obviously contending for one and opposing the other. And the one that he is opposing is a group that we could call the, the, the Judaizers. They were, the, uh, they were trying to reinstitute the ancient Jewish ritual of circumcision as a condition for salvation and and basically their approach went like this believe in Christ and by the way they did not deny the necessity of faith they said believe in Jesus Christ that's step one step two obey the law step three be accepted by God. That was their approach. And Paul contended with them earnestly, strongly, enthusiastically. And Paul's approach was like this. Paul's approach was believe in Jesus Christ, be accepted by God, obey the law. And so what Paul is saying to the Galatians and what he's saying in the passage that we're just about to read is that that first approach results in terrible bondage. And the way of freedom 
is found in believing in Christ, receiving his acceptance, and then out of a changed heart, doing what God requires. Um, so you may, right now, it might not be clear. Well, how does that first approach result in bondage? And um, that may not be clear to you at this moment, but my prayer is, is that by the time we're done, it will be. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able to do so, please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the freedom that comes through your son Jesus. Today, help us to consider how free we truly are. Lord, make us free. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So today I want to talk to you about true freedom. Jesus said, it was alluded to in the video, Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And the very fact that Jesus said free indeed means there's a possibility then that there can be a false kind of freedom. There can be a, uh, an imagined freedom that is in fact no freedom at all. And so, so really today, what I want to do is I just, want to, I just want to ask two questions. The first one is, what is freedom? What are we talking about here? Are we all singing from the same piece of cheap music? Or do we have different definitions about what freedom is? So the first question is, what is freedom? And then the second question that I want to ask and hopefully try and answer is, how then do we truly become free? So let's think about that first one. What is freedom? And essentially, there's a cultural definition of freedom. Uh, a definition that says freedom is self-determination without limits. Or another way of thinking about this, here's the way our culture defines freedom. Doing what you want. That's what it means to be free. You just do what you want. And if nobody gets hurt in the process, great. That's how we should, that's how we should live. So just do what you want. But what if, what if what you want is off? What if what you want isn't quite what would be best? What if what you want would be harmful, hurtful, 
destructive. What if your wants are way off base? Because the fact is, when you think about this thing of what is freedom and how it relates to us pursuing what we want, the fact is, is that sometimes our wants, the things we want, conflict with each other. Do they not? Sometimes we want things, we want this thing, and we want this thing, but, but those two things are actually in conflict. I mean, an example would be something like, here, I want to live to a ripe old age, but I want to eat anything I want. Okay, so maybe those conflict, maybe those wants and those desires conflict. So how does that fit with this definition of freedom is just doing whatever you want? Maybe, maybe I want to, maybe I want to look fit. I want to be fit. I want to look fit. I want to wear fitness kinds of clothes. But when I come in in the evenings, I also want to just lay on the couch. How do those two wants, how do they coexist? They don't. They conflict. So now we immediately have a problem. If freedom is doing what you want, what happens when what you want is either A, not good for you, or B, conflicts with, with something else that you want and something that might be good for you. If you read down through the fifth chapter of Galatians, what Paul will say there, as you get down through there, he said, you know, there's, there's desires of the Spirit, there's desires of the fallen nature, and these things are contrary to one another, he says. So now, what do we do? I mean, this kind of uh, secular version of freedom... This unlimited wants easily, easily lends itself to bondage. And one of the great tragedies is to think that I'm free because I'm just going to do what I want. But the fact is I am in held captive by my wants. I mean, laying on a couch with chip crumbs just all over you as you lay there you know asleep that's not exactly a picture of freedom is it so let me give to you in contrast with the secular view of freedom let me give you a definition of what i i believe true freedom to be if secular freedom is doing what you want here's what true freedom is true freedom is wanting to do what is best. That's what freedom is. Freedom is wanting to do the things that are best. Because now we've moved from an external freedom. Nobody can tell me what to do. That's the way, that's the way freedom's perceived today. But that's all external. But what if it were internal? That the things that I actually want to do are things that are best. That is, in fact, true freedom. But it's, it's, um, it's not easy to attain. In fact, it's easy to relapse and fall back into bondage. That's why Paul is writing to these Galatians. If you'll notice there in the text that we read, he said, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit Notice the next word, again. 
again. Oh, so there's been relapse. One of the things we struggle with through life is relapse back into this definition of freedom. I'll just do what I want. I'll just, whatever I want, that's what I'll do. I'm free. This problem of relapse. While you're right there in chapter 5, just look over in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, where Paul kind of, we get a, a little bit clearer picture of exactly what this relapse is. And when he says, uh, when he says again, look at, look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved. So evidently, so what Paul is saying here is if you have a, a false god, if there is something that you're giving allegiance to other than the true God, he said that is bondage. That's what it means, he says, to be enslaved. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, and then it's interesting, Paul stops, it's almost as if he catches himself. He says, now that you've come to know God, or, well, really, he says, or rather, to be known by God. It's interesting, isn't it? We talk a lot about, I know God, I know God, I know God. Okay. Does God know you? That's the real question, isn't it? You ask somebody, you say, hey, have you been, seen, have you been to see the doctor? I used to ask a guy, hey, have you been to see the doctor? He has always replied, always, yes, and the doctor has seen me. Well, that's really the most important thing, isn't it? It's not that I see the doctor, but the doctor sees me. Paul says, you, you know God. He says, you know, you came to know God. He said, well, really what happened was God now knows you. And the, and the emphasis there is that God has reached to us. God has brought us to himself. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. This next statement is astounding. Whose slaves you want to be once more. Wow, that proves, that really proves the previous statement that I made about how these wants are sometimes contradictory and, and, and actually the things that we want are harmful and destructive. Paul says, you, you want this. It's a want, but it's not good. It's taking you back somewhere where you shouldn't, you don't want to be. So, if I'm working off the definition of secular freedom, which is, hey, I'll do, I'm doing whatever I want to do, that doesn't even get to the heart of the matter. The problem is, in my heart and in your heart, there are wants that are not in our best interest nor to the glory of God. And without a change, listen, listen, without a change in our wants, there's no freedom. There's no freedom at all. There's only captivity. Um, the want 
This, so this want, this want ultimately has to come from this why. What Paul is talking about here, he's talking about false gods. He's talking about either worshiping the true God or worshiping these false gods. And, and so that's the why. That's the, that's the reason for everything. And he said the wants, the wants come out of the why. And basically what Paul is saying is that the why matters and that the, the reason or the motive behind the behavior is what either enslaves us or liberates us. We've talked about this multiple occasions. It always bears repeating. Everything we do, there's something behind it. There's something that drives it. And the only way to ever change our behavior is to look behind the behavior and say, what drives this? What's the why? And there is a why behind everything we do, behind every one of our wants. Um, and Paul is saying here is that this false God, this thing that we love other than God, brings slavery. So let's, just for a moment, let's think about this with me. Let's see if we... It's important to identify the chain of the idol. Because there's always a chain associated with the idol. There is something about this, this false love that we have. Loving something more than we love God. There's a, it creates a chain that keeps us enslaved. So let's, let's think, think with me for a moment. Let's look at a scenario. Okay? This is a scenario that you probably encountered. It's, maybe a, it's a scenario that many of us have found ourselves in. Just think about the scenario of bitterness. Someone is bitter. They are angry about something that has happened, and they are angry towards and bitter towards another person. And they will invariably say something like this. It will go along the lines of this. I can't get past this. Okay. So that means... They're in bondage to it. If I can't get past something, then I'm in bondage to it. Correct? So, there's, so here, here's how the, the rationale, you listen to them talk, they'll say something like, listen, I am so mad at this person. I am so angry at this person. I am so bitter at this person. I can't get over it. Okay, textbook case of bondage. I can't get over it. Okay. So the reason, though, that they are enslaved is not because of what this person did. As wrong as it may be. Listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to condone what it was that this person did to them that has created this bitterness. I would say 90% of the time, they are completely, they are completely their grievance is well taken that somebody did something to them that was wrong. I'm not disputing that at all. But the reason that they're enslaved is not because of what that person did. The reason they're enslaved is what their heart is making of the thing that they lost in that experience. They're angry because they're bitter because they lost something. What did they lose? Well, what they lost probably represents the true God that they really worship. 
reputation. I'm bitter at this person because what they did and what they said has caused me to lose my reputation. Not my character. You can't lose your character. But my reputation. Or what they did or what they said has caused me to lose my comfort. And now my whole life's been turned upside down. Or what this person did or said has caused me to lose my security. Now everything is topsy-turvy. You could go on and on and different things. But that's where the bondage is. The bondage is, fa- is found in what my heart is making of this. Somebody's done something. But that's not what's keeping me enslaved. No, my heart now is making something of this. And my heart is that this thing, the reputation, the comfort, the security, is more important than God. I love it more than I love God. And that's when we find ourselves enslaved. And we're a slave because essentially when we love these kinds of things, we are so vulnerable to circumstances. We can't survive a disruption in circumstances because the thing that we love is threatened. Now, if we love God, we're above all of that. If God is the thing that I love more than the approval or the comfort or the power or the security or the control, whatever it is, then any of those things get disrupted. It doesn't matter because God is above all of that. But if I am vulnerable, no one is more vulnerable than the person who has it all based on circumstances. So we have to stop and ask ourselves, am I truly free? Not in the sense that that culture defines it. Culture says, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. I've heard people say, have you not heard people say that? I can do whatever I want. But that doesn't make you free. No, what makes you free is wanting to do what is best. So how in the world then do we become truly free? Paul gives us a little synopsis in verse 6. A formula, if you will. I don't always trust formulas. But what we see in verse 6 is really Paul's statement about the way to freedom. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let me just take a couple of, pick that apart just a tiny bit here. For in Christ Jesus, he says, listen, you can be circumcised, you can be non-circumcised. Basically what he's saying there, he's talking about two groups of people. He's talking about the person who's the moralist. He's talking about the person who is the libertine, the person who flaunts the the standards of society. He said it doesn't really matter either way. You can go one way or the other. He said, but neither of those, and he uses a word here, neither of those counts. And that word count carries the idea of ability, the power to liberate. It doesn't count. It doesn't have the capacity To make a difference. He said, neither one of those things gets you where you want to be. 
He said, that's what doesn't do it. Here's what does it, he says. Only faith, that's the first one. Working, that's the second. Through love, that's the third. Just look at these three things and we'll be done, okay? First of all, Paul says, through faith alone. Faith frees us. Person who is the person who tries to work their way to God through what they do, there's always bondage in that because you never can quite be sure if you've done enough. You never can quite be sure that you've done it the right way. I prayed 15 times. Maybe I should have prayed 16. I prayed 16 times, but maybe I didn't pray the right way. There's a bondage in that. There is no peace in that. There is no assurance in that. Faith frees us from ourselves. And really, if you think about it, think about it. True freedom is always going, if true freedom, if you buy my definition, that freedom is wanting what is best, then there's always a sense in which true freedom somehow comes from outside, not from within. And what faith does, it frees us from ourselves because really we're our biggest problem. And faith is when I look outside of myself and I look to something else that I perceive to be of ultimate value, something that I can ultimately trust. Faith is saying, this is what I must have. And people trust in a lot of things. People trust in approval. Some people say, listen, if other people approve of me, I'm good. People trust in power. Listen, if I've got the reins of this deal, it's all good. These are the things that people trust in. Or we put our trust in Christ. And so true freedom requires someone else's control, and we're flattering ourselves if we think otherwise. Most control, most sense of control is illusion. We think we're in control, but we're not. And the fact is, is that everybody has faith in something. Everybody has faith in either God, either Christ, or a God. Everybody has faith in something. It's impossible to live your life without it. Everybody gives themselves to something. We're made that way. Everybody says, this is the thing that has ultimate significance in my life, and it's always outside of myself. Even though my motives are selfish, it's always something else that I say, that's the thing that I'm going to live for. That's the thing that I find most beautiful. That's the thing that I say, that is awesome. That's what I want. That's how we live. And Paul warned the Galatians to center their faith in Christ. He said these other things, you may think, you may think you've got it all figured out by the fact that you're going this way of moral reformation. Or you may think you've got, your, you've got it all figured out by going the way I'm flaunting, I'm flaunting society's standards. Either way, he says, you're off base. Either way, that is just an expression of self. He said, put your faith and trust, center them in Christ, not yourself. And that kind of faith, because God honors faith, because faith is outside of ourselves, that Faith in Christ will rewire our wants 
and our desires. Because I'll tell you, friends, if something doesn't do, if this doesn't do something about my wants and desires, it's hopeless. Because my wants and desires are contradictory, and in many occasions, they're self-destructive. Faith is how God begins the process of rewiring those, and that leads to freedom. So he says, Paul says, first of all, the first thing is faith, faith alone. Not faith plus works, faith alone. And then he says, faith, only faith, working. And that word working there is a, it's a word in the original language is the word energeo, energeo, which is where we get our word energy from. It's where we get engine. What is the engine? Think about that. For all the things that people do, what's the engine? What drives it all? What drives the behavior? What, what, what has driven the fact that you've come here this morning to church, to worship? What drives the things, the works that you perform? What Paul is saying here is that faith works. But you know what? So does fear. Fear works also. Fear that I'll be rejected. A fear that what I have is not enough. The question is, what's the engine for the works? Um, I think, and by the way, what, what Paul is saying here is that the, the way to moral, the way to transformation, the way to the kind of behavior that is productive and is enriching and is glorifying to God, it all it comes through faith. It comes through believing I have been accepted by God in Jesus. And out of that, remember we said the two different approaches. What was the first approach? The first approach was believe in Jesus. Second, keep the law, be accepted by God. Paul said, no, 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 that's not it at all. Paul says, believe in Christ, be accepted by God, and then out of that, keep the law. And you know what I found? A lot of people secretly, silently, among church people are very cynical and skeptical about that. They just don't believe that's the way it works. They just say, oh, you can't tell people that. You can't tell people that they're accepted. They'll go hog wild. They'll go crazy. They'll say, well, it's like uh, maybe, you, maybe, you saw, maybe you've seen this in the life of your children when uh, they're trying to get into college and um, uh, so they're, they're doing all the grades and doing the good grades and keeping their grades up and everything and they're applying to the schools and long about the first semester, they get that acceptance notice. You're accepted. Great. And you know what happens sometimes? Those second semester grades really aren't very good. You're going, what happened? You go to them, what happened? Oh, I'm in. I'm accepted. And so sometimes I think a lot of people think, oh, you can't tell people they're accepted. They'll start slacking off. No, you got to keep them, you got to keep them a little doubtful about it. So they'll keep doing what they need 
to do. Paul says that's absolutely not the way it is. That the only basis, the only basis for ongoing transformation and good behavior is faith in Christ. Let me put it to you this way. If when you lose your fear of rejection of God, okay? So, so something happens to you and you've lost. You're no, longer, you're no longer afraid that God is going to reject you. And along with that goes your incentive to live a holy life. If that's true, then what I would say is the only incentive you've had to live a holy life is fear, not God. See, we get into the heart, and incentive is everything with God. God cares about what our motive is. God cares about the why. The mo- Go read 1 Corinthians 13. What does Paul say? I can do all kinds of great things. I can preach great. I can speak great. I have faith to move mountains. I can, get, I can become a martyr for the faith. But if I don't have love, what does he say? It counts a little bit. He said it counts nothing at all with God. With God, the heart matters everything. And the reason it matters is because it is out of the heart that all the issues of life flow. And so that's what Paul gets to the third part here. He says, he says, for, he says, but only faith working through love. A true faith always produces works of love. There's your why. The why being love for God. I'm going to do what I do because I love God, because I see in God all beauty, because I see in God all worthiness, all glory. I see in God everything that I need. I therefore say, I, my faith, my love is directed towards Him. And that eventually shapes all of your wants. It transforms all of your wants. It, you know, the, the, the only way to get rid of a negative impulse is not just to beat it down. The only way to get rid of a negative impulse is to replace it with a greater impulse. Something that will kind of expel that. You can't just beat it down. You can't just keep it locked down, push it down. No, you, replacement. And that love for God becomes that replacement and it shapes all of our wants. Whatever you do, in anything you do, in any good thing that you do, there is nothing, this is, I'm quoting Jonathan Edwards here, American, a great American theologian, whatever you do, there is nothing given to God in it unless He is the ultimate aim of it. Many good works, there's a lot of good works, there's a lot of things that people do, but they are ultimately done and offered to an idol. People do a lot of good things, 
but because they worship the God of approval, they do those things. A lot of people do a lot of good things, but because they worship the God of power, they do those things. Not because they love God. If you're not sure that you're going to heaven unless you live a good life, then every good thing you do is for you, not God. Remember last week, the story? The gardener gave the carrot to the king. He gave the carrot to the king because of the king. The prince gave the horse to the king. He gave it to himself. This is where we are, friends. This is what God is after. This is what God is chasing. And Paul says, until you get to this place, it's bondage. Freedom. Freedom to simply say, I do. Not because of these other, these other things that I'm trying to get as a result. I do because God and my love for Him and my love for Him is not a good work. It's, not, it's something that He, because of what He's done for me, it's simply my response. And here's the test of this love. Here's how God shows us whether or not we are truly, whether this is faith working by love, here's how we know when we suffer. When we suffer. When we suffer, we go, wait a minute. What's going on here? Oh, maybe I'm not doing these things because I love God. Maybe I'm doing these things because this is what I want to get out of it. Problems, when problems come. And I go, wait a minute, God, what's going on here? God is testing my love. When your prayers aren't answered, when your prayers aren't answered, is the great test of whether in my heart there is love for God or if ultimately I'm doing all these things for myself. What God wants to know in all of this, us gathering here today, the very fact that we came here today, which is a good thing, what God wants to know is are you in this in order to serve me or are you in this to have me serve Loving God simply for the sake of loving God. Because He is beautiful. Because He is worthy. Because He is wonderful. And because He is awesome. And because He so freely loved us in His Son, Jesus Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is true freedom. Paul says... Christ has made you free. Stand in that freedom by faith which works through love. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? And I just simply want to ask you, how free is your service to and your love for God?
Is it free? Do you, do you give to God freely in the things that you do for Him? When you pray, when you seek Him in His Word, when you gather with other believers, is it for, for His sake alone? Or is it for your sake? These are the questions that the Holy Spirit comes and searches our hearts with. Here's what I'm pretty sure. If each one of us did and does what we do out of love for God, if every one of us walks in the freedom, faith, working through love, we will be a completely united and healthy fellowship. The bond of love. I can't fix all of that. You can't fix all of that. But there's one thing that I can do this morning and there's one thing that you can do. You can look into your heart and, say, and ask, do I do what I do out of love for God? And if the answer is yes, you're free. You're free. And if you will live as free, your freedom will begin to influence other people. That's why Paul goes on to say, right after the passage we read, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. It's contagious. Let your freedom, freedom and love, be contagious. But it starts right here. It starts in our hearts. It starts in my heart. It starts in your heart. Be free for the glory of God. Father, we... We know, we know that much of what we do is for ourselves. God, purify our hearts. Through the gospel, Lord, help us to see that you are beautiful yourself alone for no other reason and that love for you is for its own sake give us hearts Lord give us hearts please Lord 
that love you only for your sake. Break the chains of the idols that enslave us. And that that affect and infect those around us. Set us free, Lord. Set us free. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for our time of invitation. If the Lord has moved upon your heart toward faith this morning, if you're here and you, through the Spirit of God, have been moved to put your faith in your Son, Jesus, is God's Son, Jesus, we invite you during this time to make your profession of faith in Christ alone. I'll be here at the front to welcome you, help you, pray with you, whatever would be needful. Let's follow the direction that the Lord gives us this morning.